Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to God Only Knows What episode this is. See what Murph has written above the episode for the number. Uh, this week we were joined by a fantastic guest in Owen Maguire. Uh, he, Owen is, I suppose, most well known for his work with Exos in uh, in Ireland. He's had a huge wealth of experience um, from working with them over in the US and from his own experience working here with inter-county teams, high-performance athletes, uh, he's uh, involved in rugby and so on. There was a lot there today. There was a lot there to pick through and he uh, he gave us some, some great insights into some important things even to consider from a young coach perspective uh you know where to what kind of things to be mindful of when looking to develop yourself uh, as a coach on top of plenty of other things from an actual snc perspective but yeah how did you find today guys yeah like i i tried to put together a fairly set topic guide beforehand and we went completely off it today because Owen had so many different interesting things to talk about i think most notably the advice for young coaches and even not necessarily young coaches just of the more softer skills you can develop as a coach, which I think are, are very important. Shane? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I really think we delved a lot more into what's what you require to be an SNC coach apart from what's in your SNC book kind of thing. And it was also just really cool to hear about the combine because the combine is awesome for anyone who hasn't watched it before, you should. <laughs> Actually, on the combine, if someone wants to find out a little bit more about that, the ep- the episode of the toughest trade with Aidan O'Shea a few years ago is a good way of giving an overview of what it is and what's involved all like that mm. alright well, let's uh, jump on into the episode so Owen you've quite the wealth of experience few different sports worked with a few high level players a few high level athletes we were discussing beforehand but surely the highlight of your career so far has been with the Carlo Minor Hurlers <laughs> Um. Yeah, good experience working with Carlos seniors uh, all the way down through the the levels. I was only there for the for the one year, so um, what well, obviously I would have liked to be there for a little bit longer, but another role came up uh, within Cavan GA, so jump ship there. My dad's from Cavan, so kind of have a little bit of growth for Cavan, um, so that's how I ended up there. But um, yeah, no good good year experience. Um, kind of that was my first uh, experience with a county setup, so yeah, it's great. When was that back twenty thirteen fourteen? Was it? Uh, twenty thirteen fourteen, yeah, the year twenty two. Because before that, the kind of connection there was, um, I'd done a little bit of work with O'Loughlin just in their preseason. Um, Carlo Dwyer was the manager, so one of the senior hurlers, Mark Brennan, had asked would it be interested in getting involved, and I was kind of still playing to, with senior uh, with my own club, Saint Bridget. So, yeah, kind of I could only do a little bit of preseason work with them, more consultancy based stuff. So, kind of started there, and then that's how the connection into Carlo came, and yeah, had a good year. Yeah, no, a few of my neighbours were on the minor team that time. They, they still speak quite highly of you, actually. Um, no, I don't mean actually, but they just still do. <laughs> <laughs> How did you end up there then? What's some of your background? Like, you said you played a bit for St. Bridget still at that stage. But what was your kind of sporting experience growing up? Is that what led you to S&C, or was it something else? Yeah, I suppose, like like any young lad in, in Ireland, it's kind of like the, the GEA and soccer type background. So um played relatively high level up to under 18 with soccer and, and GEA. Um, played my home farm in St. Pat's, uh, DDSL Premier all the way up as a, as a youngster. Played my hometown or hometown club, Rona, as well at the start and then kind of went to, went to home farm and then to Pat's. But um, had also played GEA, so kind of was actually playing a year out of my grade with GEA. So some, some weekends I was playing, say, under 13s, but I was actually under 12s. And I was playing Saturday and Sunday and a soccer match, which when you look back on, not ideal. And that's why I was kind of getting hip groin pain at that age and at physios when you're that young, when you really shouldn't be. But um, yeah, kind of that, that was the, the background. Um, had a love for sport in general, like watching rugby and different types of sports, golf, boxing, and then kind of later into MMA and stuff like that. But yeah, kind of um, that's what really got me into it. Um, got asked to into the Dublin minor panel in two thousand and four. So kind of the way they did it was they kind of Fingal had a team, North Dublin had a team, South Dublin and stuff like that, and then there was uh, trials that way, and then it was kind of picked into a team. Got onto the kind of like thirty whatever thirty five man panel played the Leinster League and stuff like that and then uh, did basically we got tested as well in DCU and that's kind of where I got my first experience and exposure to testing and stuff went into uh, DCU for the day done you know your usual test your 
your sprints, your your jumps, um, wind gate, which for the first experience as a 17, 18 year old was definitely not nice. But um, yeah, basically didn't make the 26 for the championship. Uh, that year they went on, we hammered Wexford and then lost to Leash, a pretty decent Leash team. But like, it was a pretty packed team. And I suppose the reason why I was being like, mentioned when I wasn't in the 26, it was like, you know, maybe not strong enough or powerful enough, you know, felt like I was aerobically fit enough or kind of fit enough to play the game. But like those types of things kind of, they're the things that was mentioned here. It was like, well, right, I, I need to kind of investigate these a little bit more. And that's where the kind of interest in uh, going into sports science and strength and conditioning kind of came from. But um, yeah, that's where it kind of started. And then went into my degree in um, uh, WIT and exercise and health studies four years there. Um and then I eventually went on to do a master's, but in between I kind of went to I went to I was looking around at different different things. Like felt like when I came out with my degree in 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 Waterford, you know, you think you know it all, and it's one of those things, and then you get a little bit of imposter syndrome, and you're like, fuck, I don't really know much, and you know, you kind of start looking at different things, and I come across uh Mike Boyle and Cressy and um athletes performance at the time and these different things. Then I was one of my actually two people I know had gone and done the exos mentorship previous to me so I kind of got in touch with them found out a little bit more about it and then I eventually got accepted to a internship in the 1st of January 2011 I started and I worked for six months there so unbelievable experience when I there so yeah that's something we'll definitely dig into in a bit more detail as we go on but You've worked with a few different sports and athletes, you know, a nice range over the last few years. Just kind of gives an overview of the sports, you kind of have a bit of experience, but also touch on maybe what you've kind of brought S&C-wise and where you may not have known much about the sport and how it maybe had to get you thinking a little bit differently. Yeah, so main sport that I've kind of worked in was uh, Gaelic football. So that's, for the most part, working with... um, Cavan senior footballers, Longford senior footballers, and then a host of different club teams. Um, but also worked obviously in hurling. Uh, currently working in rugby at the moment with Old Belvedere. Um, working with Crusher Law GA as well. Um, but worked with golf, um, athletes, boxers, uh, MMA. So yeah, kind of worked across the realm with different different types of athletes. Um, I suppose my thought process would always be kind of look at the sport and look at the athlete so try and reverse engineer the sport see what the athlete's missing how far away are they from whatever their position if it's if it's GA or rugby um if it's golf you're you know you're looking at club head speed if there's an issue with distance and then you're kind of looking at how you can close that gap i suppose that's the the real big thing for me is is looking at those two elements are there a few key things you notice that are reasonably common to sports in terms of what I need to prioritise, but also maybe movement deficiencies, or is there a decent bit of variance? Yeah, like my big thing would be training movements uh, over muscles, you know, and that's a big phrase that Exos and athletes performance have used for years. So, like, I would be heavily influenced by them and other people as well. But, like, yeah, it's movement competency, I think, is the big thing. Um, what I'm looking for, particularly in field sport athletes, is can they, you know, what does it look like when they sprint when they decelerate backpedal cut shuffle you know all these different things because essentially what i see those field sports is it's sprinting plus and it's sprinting plus you know in gea is tackling jumping you know catching all the other things and then in rugby it's probably a little bit more varied because obviously you've got your front rows versus your different positions so it's they're a little bit more kind of skewed so like the likes of a prop would have different characteristics of what they need to be strong at first like a wing or a fullback like prop your max strength is very important to a prop where maybe not as important to a, a wing or a fullback prop obviously needs to push in the scrum need to lift in the line out pick and go drive balls you know ball carrying all those different types of things where you know a wing or a fullback max v or uh, max speed is going to be really important for them so that's the key evading defenders and maybe catching high balls so like I try and break down the sport because when I went into the likes of rugby although I'd watched it I hadn't like had I never played I had friends who played went to you know private school or whatever and that's the kind of tradition within Ireland is that's that's the way it is it's not like GEA where nearly everyone plays soccer or GEA so I kind of had to learn quick and fast and you know I was applying principles and that's a big thing that I, I think I, that I do is and that's what Exos kind of instilled in me from when I done my internship, done my internship first, 
it was all about you know a principles-based approach and not just throwing random methods you know if something's fashionable and whether it's mass or whatever it is and someone just goes to town on that and that's they're the whatever guy you know so it would be much more of a principles-based approach looking at the sport and then and working back from there seeing where the athletes currently at you know and i suppose logistics and you know budget and different things will will allow you to test the athlete a certain way and maybe it could be very just rudimentary tests but try and get an idea of where the athlete's currently at and then try and close that gap that's what my approach would be really we'll touch on those principles there as we go on but saying as you've moved across to rugby or into rugby more so than kind of your main background in soccer and ga how have you found it difficult or have you found difficult even to to manage the different I suppose physical requirements of different positions like realistically in Gaelic football or hurling if you trained everyone the same it would lead to a benefit it would be better if you individualized a bit but if you were stuck for time had a large group you'd cope whereas rugby is probably not going to be the same and how have you managed that or what were some of the challenges you even had at the start yeah it is difficult like in my first year I didn't it was more so the approach of it was probably like bucket them depending on or depending on the issues that they had. I, I would bucket them on different things like that. But year two and year three, I have tried to, you know, individualize programs a little bit more, whether it's for your, your front three or your tight five versus, you know, your middle middle type of positions and then into your your, your backs. Um, so like simple things like if I was doing some sort of a plyo, uh, in the program, I would try and later into the the preseason or into the maybe early in season, um, of kind of like challenger friendly games, I would be doing more, uh, trying to do a plyo that would be more representative of of what they're doing. So, for example, if you have centers or any type of backs, evasion is is really important to them. So, maybe in the um, off season and early in season, I've done maybe altitude drops. So I'll go from an altitude drop into a drop jump and then into a lateral bound, for example, for them. Whereas, you know, I might do a two step quick plyo into like a vertical jump for a line out lifter or a line out jumper, for example. So they're small little intricacies, but whether they're making a big difference, it's maybe negligible. Um, but like that's that's where I'm trying to individualize. But again, it comes down to logistics and can I actually do it? I'm lucky in Albevalier that I had support and have support so I've uh, a sports scientist with me Aidan Shovelin so um, and he'd be one of my good friends now at the moment so between himself and and, and Shane Malone who I've worked with in the past um, you know we'd be bouncing ideas off each other and see how we can individualise but it's all, it all comes down to manpower as you said if you haven't got the haven't got the manpower what can you do you, sometimes it's very difficult to train a group of you know anywhere from 15 up to 30 uh, guys you know it's it's pretty much impossible so trying to individualize it too much unless you have them for a couple of years under your tutelage and you can kind of build it from there that's that's where things become a little bit easier yeah would you say sorry i'm just going to jump in here Murph. kind of i suppose in your programming for those different positions you're nearly trying to keep i'd say 80 percent of the program the same and it's just that 20 percent where you can individualize so it's it's always going to be negligible or minimal differences but I suppose over time, those minimal differences or minimal gains are going to accumulate. Exactly, yeah. Like I would say definitely 80 plus, could be 90% of the program could be very similar or the same. And then it's, you know, those little 10 percenters. And it's it's like in any type of program, I'm always testing and iterating different types of methods and, and means to try and improve. And for the most part, I would say 70% is like complete solid signs. No one could argue with me. 20% I'm testing the water a little bit and maybe 10% is a complete moonshot you know it's and their principles I've kind of taken from from my work within Google so um yeah that's kind of my approach to that but you're you're spot on yeah just minimal minimal changes yeah I think I kind of have the same approach and it means I found that it kind of puts a lot of onus then on the player as well so like well you know this is your 10% that's just for you or just for the wingers or just for this so make sure that you guys are doing this because I can't police everybody's individual stuff at the same time so it kind of puts more of an onus on them exactly and like sometimes when if you are on pitch with regards to that i know in rugby like they split backs and forwards a lot more so that's where you can potentially work on your evasion based stuff whether it's you know shuffle cut or any type of integration of those principles and that's where you maybe get a little bit 10-15 minutes while the forwards are working on scrums or lineouts or whatever and that's where you can start to integrate that stuff so maybe 
in the gym it might be only a five to ten percent change on the pitch it could be a lot more you could be up to 30 percent depending on you know how well you know your coach uh, how well you can work with him and, and that and those types of things how much of it is potentially down to the belief the player then has in the process due to the the bit of individualization they're getting like if you have a group of, of 30 players and 18 year old 65 kg lad has the same program as the the 29 year old 95 kg lad doing the same program like well, I don't know if this makes sense and if they think they've won a little bit that's specifically for them us oh, class program I love it he, he's such a good coach yeah couldn't agree more and like that's all, that kind of all comes back to the buy-in element and that's where I suppose at the start of when I am working with a new team I'm, I'm always looking for the influencers and the, and the key lads within the panel to if I can get buy-in from them they dot like you're onto a winner and like simple things like someone can't touch their toes and you can make a change on that in a couple of minutes like it's very very easy and simple like it could be anything but if you if you win over their trust for the most part when you're working new with a team that's it's so vital and that's they're, they're the key things that I would try be trying to do but again as you said minimal changes for different types of lads and, that, and they just appreciate that like you know it's just you know that's what they expect I suppose I suppose it's very much the side of coaching too where you, you kind of you drop out the science for a while and get to know the person and like that's so important Um, I suppose and I'm not going to mention anything but I've been in clubs where people their previous were just kind of not they didn't click with you know they didn't try to click they came in with their sports science this is it this is the way and that just that rubs off people wrong so like that like looking for those influencers connecting with lads actually getting to know lads you know chatting rubbish sometimes but you get the buy-in as a result um and it, it, it's it's a huge it's such a huge part of coaching that for a lot of coaches it just comes naturally to them but it, i'd definitely be suggesting uh, and I, maybe you'll agree or disagree with it but i i, I would always suggest for young coaches to kind of uh like work on that get work on getting to know uh athletes no matter what discipline you go into getting to know the person um as soon as you get in the door so that you can actually bring that sports science in and make those improvements no 100 percent, totally agree like you you really do have to, to get to know them and that's where you know going to different types of things whether it's a team bonding or you know whatever for, i know in rugby to do a lot of kind of different types of elements of team building whether it's even going for drinks or having barbecues and stuff. if you can go to them that's how you get to know the people and the players and i suppose then the other thing is that you probably come across this yourselves guys is that a lot of players within teams whether it's rugby or gaa have some sort of fitness background or you know s and c and you've kind of got to go to those guys as well and say right do you find a certain way of training suits you and maybe you bend a little bit towards that as well or you know you you try and mold them into your way of thinking as well so there are different types of things that you potentially do as well just find in general like common topics you can talk about and they don't need to be related to the sport at all like group couple of teams I would this year and last year are big rural areas. So I'm going home and chat to me if I had about, you know, what's what's the big talk in farming at the minute? So I can just bring it up a Tuesday night and be like, Jeez lads, cattle price is terrible, ain't it? I've no idea. I'm just gonna see what the response is like. <laughs> yeah, they lead the conversation from then on as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so down to earth, I know I know what you're talking about in farming. Um you mentioned there working with Aidan Shovelin and rugby and Shane Malone, Larry GA around how how you use sports science to guide what you're doing. Like, the lads have done quite a bit of research. And while a lot of us would try to read the research and use that to inform us, what extra benefit is there from communicating directly with the sports scientists themselves in terms of follow-up questions to what's not written in the paper but what actually was important? How have you found all that? Yeah, like, a, like w- whether it's Shane or Aiden or whoever it is, like, or nutritionists or bouncing ideas off different types of people, I think that's just, that's that's it. It's just kind of getting the the nitty-gritty out of the papers because the papers can be very you know clinical at times and you know it's it's easier just asking them well how did you collect the data who was it with you know the things that may, may not be in the paper uh, per se and the real pra- practical elements of that so that's the key like whether it's gps or load monitoring or whatever it is like and like i always just bounce ideas off them and i've worked about them in the in the past and kind of continue to share ideas and I like those guys will be coming from a little bit more of the straight or what I would consider a straight um sports science side of things where they, they actually like doing the GPS I hate like hate having to do all that type of stuff myself I want to be you know 
working with the guys uh, in the trenches, not not spending four hours after a session, you know, chopping GPS and all that type of stuff and looking at load. I just asked them the hard questions. Right, how is that guy feeling? Is anything flagged here? More so that type of thing. And then help getting them to assist me with, you know, testing and stuff and just more data visualization. And, you know, the lads have unbelievable, like whether they're using Excel or uh, Power BI and all these different types of softwares just to visualize and get the stuff across. And then I can go to the coach and or manager or whatever and say, listen, this is what's flagging or this is where we're at now and this is what we may need to work on. So it's just more uh, getting a general ideas off them and, and, and bouncing us around. And yeah, that's it really. It's quite an underdeveloped skill, the the reporting of communicating of information you have. Like just throwing up a big list of numbers of players and like here, I love numbers, I love graphs. Um but throwing up the players, they most likely don't have the same graph or as I do, but putting that into some kind of easy-to-follow graph or whatever it is that players can understand and what it actually means to them can help with buy-in as well, i found. Have you changed or even adjusted any practices based on feedback from the sports science end, in either rugby or GA? Not specifically from sports scientists, but just in general, I suppose, over the last couple of years, what I would have learned again, maybe more so from working within corporate environments like Google, is maybe asking, for example, the manager and or coach when I'm first working with them, how would they like these things communicated to them? And you can maybe give them examples of here's the complete remit of what it could potentially look like. Do you just want a one pager? You know, a one paragraph, a one liner, you know, how how small or big do you want it, you know, do you want me to email it to you? Is it in a WhatsApp? Are we going am I gonna ring you? You know, those types of different just asking what communication method is best for them and how they you know, how they would like to receive it really, that's that's major. Is there much variance there or is it fairly common? Uh, I would say it's it's fairly common. Most of them just want to, you know, if there's flags, they want they want to be, you know, and maybe after a game they'll want, you know, a, a GPS report or whatever. But with regards to GPS, I think output stuff is not really the most important thing for me. And I'll be trying to educate the, you know, I'll be trying to educate the coaches and the managers on that. Like I, I don't really buy into the right well John there's two half forwards Johnny and James and Johnny covers you know 9k and James covers 6k but you know James is after kicking 1-6 and Johnny's you know chasing shadows for half the game so output wise I don't really you try and get that across to them the reason why we and I generally use uh, GPS is for is for load monitoring more than anything else and I, I think just tracking distance covered is one of the biggest mistake someone can use when coaching a team yeah. to be honest I think it's it's more important to be looking at high speed running than overall distance in general and to be honest I've the few times I've had access to it I find it more useful for using in training to see what kind of outputs different games or drills or whatever I'm doing give me so I could then use that as conditioning tools with an element of football or hurling inbuilt as opposed to just he is working harder than him you're not working hard enough that's why you're sitting on the sideline the next day i think that's a it's carrying it in with a negative view as opposed to being more proactive with the tool you have exactly yeah yeah like and we we'd use that as well for in the past whether it's ga and or rugby we've quantified you know certain drills with with coaches and they'd have names particularly in rugby they named the drills I know some some county teams will as well, but then if they're repeating those drills, they'll know what a you know a sixty by twenty grid will give you on a certain game with a four v four or a six v six or whatever it is. So at least I can take that away when I go working with a team and I have a library of that when I'm working with teams who don't have GPS. I know levels might be different, but the variances aren't going to change that much really. You know, and that's the same with rugby. Whether you're doing like that, that like a lot of teams will use that Brumbies drill, like that Leinster use and stuff like that. So you'll know what that will look like from a meters per minute perspective and then you can start dictating training from that and I suppose uh, keeping an eye on load as well. Yeah, No, no, couldn't, couldn't agree more on that. Something we just wanted to touch on there was I noticed you putting up on Instagram last summer it was a bit around contrast training and some of my own friends have asked me quite a bit about that saying oh should I start including it and, and different things can you just give us and like obviously you said earlier it's not just one method we use it's the overall principles but just a bit of guidance on what it is and where it could potentially be used and be useful yeah um, well like when you, when people mention contrast training it's, oh, this is something that kind of carves back to me Excel, early Exos days around nomenclature and how what people say things are because when someone says contrast training complex and contrast training kind of are used interchangeably when they're 
nearly they're kind of should be seen from the literature they're kind of seen as different things so complex will be more um, when you pair, say, a high force exercise with a high velocity and they're done nearly back to back, so for example, like a heavy squat with a similar type movement pattern and then straight into a box jump or 20 seconds rest and then into a box jump, where contrast is more so you do maybe three by three of a heavy squat with your rest in between and then you do after you've finished your squat pattern. You'll then go into box jumps, for example, of a three by three or whatever you know rep 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 range you're using. So that's kind of from a nomenclature point of view, that's the difference between complex and, and contrast, but they are used interchangeably. Um, with regards to the actual method itself, I suppose, yeah, it just gives you doing that high force exercise gives you a massive pap effect, and that's you know if you're caught for time and or you know resources potentially that's that's really good so you do your heavy exercise that stimulates um basically the cns and the, and the nervous system muscular system and gets you ready to potentially supersede what you could do without having that effect beforehand so i've used it in the past yeah depending on the age of the, the athlete their experience um, how long i've been with them and then i've used like even further things called french contrast and stuff like that i like to use that once i feel the lads are competent to do it and it mightn't happen in year one it might be down year two or three or further on um or you can water it down slightly where you know you might be going to the to the levels on the compound lift and if you feel that they're competent on the on the other exercise you can go there yeah just pop there for anyone who's wondering it's post activation potentiation it's where we're doing the heavy squat kind of fires up everything that's going to be used in say a vertical jump to hopefully make you jump a little bit higher than you would if you hadn't done the squat beforehand a few ways of say including that in a program be you know a bench press into a medicine ball throw the squat into a um a vertical jump or a hurdle hopper what are some other ways you've paired exercises together yeah so that's like that's you've mentioned a lot of them there it's like if you're doing a squat pattern it could be you know whether it's a split squat or any type of squat variation and then generally into hurdles and or box jumps or depending on the time of the year and what you're looking from it um you would you would change it around potentially i suppose maybe a mid ball or a weighted pull up and a mid ball slam something like that yeah 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 i've used pull-ups yeah um i've used a, a good few different variations i've used even a lateral pro- protocol with, with regards to the french contrast so you could do you know a heavy lateral lunge or lateral um lateral uh, squat and then into you know any type of uh, front plane movement with regards to plyometrics uh, same with your weighted jump you know you could do a, a weighted vest uh, lateral bound and then you go into a, a plyometric or accelerated plyometric lateral based movement as well so there's lots of ways to skin the cat with regards to that it's just you know what can you think and what's safe to do but realistically players will need a solid training base before like if you haven't gym before you're like oh this is going to be such a boost you're, you're probably actually looking for some sore knees actually after a couple of weeks but they're having a yeah, decent exactly. strength base and having some fairly good movement competency as well yeah, like I would make sure that the lads are very, very comfortable, you know, at extensive base plyo exercise and you're going to build that up in that off-season and early pre-season. That depends how long you've got the, the athletes as well before you can quit something like that. You just, sometimes you have a really short off-season window with the year that's been in it. Potentially you have a really long uh, build-up period and maybe you can go um, into more of these advanced methods. But yeah, I would use it definitely with caution. You just need to be to be careful make sure that they are competent the big thing for me is just force absorption and most people miss that element so i would do a lot of altitude based drops into multiple positions um even in frontal plane stuff as well so like i would make sure that you're able to absorb force because realistically if you can't absorb that force you sh- you're more i'd say 99 uh, percent of the time you're not going to be able to display that force at, at a very basic level that's like sticking a landing after a jump when, when you're dropping off stuff what kind of height are you starting at and what's what's safe to eventually build up to well like i've i've seen people like uh the likes of dan victor using crazy heights wouldn't be going that high but like yeah i would start off like anything from us even from a small box just to get used to landing depending if you're landing on a single leg or into a split position or, or bilateral so yeah, so I would say if anyone is playing around with it, I would start low and gradually build from there. But um, yeah, that's the way I go with it. No, that's kind of um, One of the big things I really wanted to chat to you about was Exos. You mentioned it earlier, going doing your, your internship and all like that. So at least performance as you start. I think I heard of him first 
was it when Germany won the 2014 World Cup? They just contracted all of their physical preparation out to athletes' performance at the time. They did they come in and actually build a gym in Germany's training base, look after physical training there, and they just put in coaches for the length of the camp, then they go on and do it elsewhere. We'd also have heard of him through some of Kerwin and Flat stuff. He did a lot of his, he did the internship through there. He got definitely the Argentina job and maybe a couple more through that. Just give us an overview then of what Exos is, at least performance was, and then you can tie us into your own role there. Yeah, so um, the company was set up in '99 by Mark Versteg, and essentially he, he set up it's a human performance company, and basically he wanted to set up a refuge for athletes to go in their off season. So, as you may know, a lot of the American sports have long off seasons, and generally, whatever SNC that's with it with the team, they don't they kind of go and the players go and find their own uh, place to train. So like Mark wanted to set up a place for, for athletes to go and train. So that was the main kind of hub of what he wanted to do at the start. And like, I know you mentioned Germany with regards to teams and stuff. So there's kind of five main strands to the business, the athlete population. So whether we send coaches to clubs and or countries, uh, whether it's China or Germany or wherever it is in between, um, or we, ha- we have them come to our hubs. So we've got hubs all across the Sun Belt. So generally, most of those players will, whether you're from New York, you're playing with a team in New York or Seattle or wherever you are, most of them will fly down to that Sun Belt, whether they're in Florida or Arizona or LA or whatever. So we have hubs in most of those areas. And like absolute state of the art, the best types of facilities, like a lot of people, uh, the listeners will have seen these facilities in the past. Everything you can imagine, best of equipment from you know uh, S and C coaches to physios to nutrition to psychologists to everything and anything you can think of in between, we have we have it there at our sites. But that's one of the main strands of the business, and that kind of gives a lot of the PR side of the business as well. But we also work uh, heavily with uh, corporates, Google, Adidas, Walgreens, a host of companies across the states and across the world. Um, we have coaches at military uh, bases across the world. We work within the community and have hubs in, in community centers and stuff like that, and coaches will be there. And then we've obviously got a massive education component to the, to the company as well, where what one of the big things was our mentorships, and a lot of people will uh, come and do that week-long mentorship, whatever, whether it's in Arizona or one of our hubs, or whether we're going to different sites across Europe or Asia or Americas or Australia, wherever it is, um, but we also have a massive online component as well. So a lot of our mentorships have now gone online, which is really good. But yeah, the company's uh, has grown exponentially over, you know, I'd say the last five to ten years. I think just last count was over four thousand two hundred employees, you know. But um, it really, really big. So when I started back in twenty twelve full time, we weren't near that. I'd say we we're in the hundreds. So. Um, yeah, it's it's grown exponentially, but it's yeah, great company to work for. Um, as I said, I've been there since twenty twelve, and I kind of had many different roles um and responsibilities from when I was there. So essentially, I was um my first role was, was as a performance specialist, um in Google's uh headquarters in Dublin in the gym there, and yeah, working there, moved on to gym management, people management, operations doing education with the mentorships when they were in Ireland or the UK, um, gym design, uh, overseeing fit-outs, building on online pl- booking platforms inside um, Google because we can't u- generally don't use outside vendors to, for that type of thing. But yeah, so mainly working in corporate health and performance. So that was this, this side of the business that I was mainly working on. Um, over the last year, I've moved roles, so I'm uh, moving into the project management world. So essentially still uh, human, human health and performance, but basically like um, I work on the PGM EMEA team. So there's four of us uh, within that team. I'm the only guy in Ireland. And essentially what we do is we test and iterate different products and services. And essentially we're trying to, f- you know, build better products and services to engage people in health and performance. That will be the long and short of it really. Um, and then there's kind of tr- three strands to our business within the corporates would be like a futures and that's kind of looking at a three-year lens maybe and then our project management side would be kind of like a washing machine where we test and iterate different types of things to engage people and get them moving uh, and then there's direct service delivery which is where i used to work so um yeah kind of moved into the project management world now so finding it really enjoying or enjoyable um so is that a lot of that work with google just 
focus on the physical health of employees, how to get more active, fitter, healthier, because it then transcends over to better work performance. Or are you going? Are you going really close and looking at the link between the height of their vertical jump impacts the, the search speed at Google? <laughs> <laughs> we could go down that type of thing, but we wouldn't use uh, those specific metrics. Um, no, we'd like we'd be using the four pillars. Like Exos has four main pillars: and it's mindset, nutrition, movement, and recovery. So we're generally will touch on any of those four pillars. Like so, we have within Google Dublin, there's state of the art gym. It's I think. 14,000 square foot of just gym space alone kitted out unbelievably I'd say it's one of the best kitted out gyms in Ireland with regards to equipment we've got uh, two and a half thousand square foot um, studio then we've got another studio and another building we've got a 25 meter swimming pool which is fully staffed so we would like it's it's above and beyond what most corporates would have around the world which is it's unbelievable and then you would have your sleep pods, you'd have nutrition, um, you'd have everything in between, physio on site, dentist and nurse on site, uh, doctor on site, all those different types of amenities um, on site. So it's it's really a great place to work. So you get the, the best of both worlds working for Exos, but also working within Google, you get all the added benefits and perks of that as well. So, and as you know, within Ireland, there, like if you're looking at, and this is what I kind of talk to when I'm talking to younger, people coming out of college, you know, uh, S&C or whatever, any type of uh, role or remit within, they're thinking of, you know, high performance all the time. And you and and everyone on the call knows there's not that uh, many jobs within high performance in Ireland. So you really got to think about what type of role you want to work in really and what's going to pay the, the bread, uh, pay the bills at the end of the day. You can't go to your... Um, your bank manager looking for a mortgage and say, well, I work for a Leinster or a Munster or whatever, and you're on pittance and, you know, your job security is you're on a one-year rolling contract. You know, he's going to laugh you out the door. So I suppose when I was younger, I kind of had the benefit of getting the experience of outside of things. So that's what helped me along the way. And kind of, I decided, you know, I can have the best of both worlds, work with county teams, work with high-level um, athletes, but also have that steady, you know, uh, income and not wanting to be, Although I'd like to work in pro sport, I don't want to be, you know, looking for a new job every year, every three years when a manager changes. So you just got to be conscious of that as well. No, that's 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 a massive point. Just for any any young, any young coaches who might be or S and C coaches something listening that like, it isn't all rosy in the garden. I know we've had a podcast before we where we discussed a little bit about it, but um, I still do see it like there's there's internships everywhere, and I see a lot of people going for them, and I see people you know, maybe out of college two or three years, even with a master's behind them, and they're still going picking up unpaid internships and they're just chasing that kind of, um, that dream of getting into a professional sports team. But like you said, you have to remember that once a coach changes, you may not be kept, you know, and that that's that's a big, a big kind of worry that other careers don't necessarily have. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's like, it's definitely underappreciated I suppose within the industry of like you know job security and looking for a different job every year and or going to move your family if you've you know been working with a province for you know for a a prolonged period of time where do you go next I suppose and I've spoken different coaches have been in different types of setups within Ireland and you know they've probably been turned off with going to the likes of in England to go to get a job in the premiership for example or wherever else in between because it means uprooting if you wife girlfriend family whatever you know, it's it's hard to go and do that. So, I think even from if you're in that chasing the dream scenario, like if you want to work in pro sports, I'm definitely not saying don't chase that dream. But I think even from an employer point of view, I'm sure they see a lot more in say if you did one or two internships and then went off and say worked with maybe a lower team, but you're in control of everything. Whereas I'm sure if interns look or sorry if employers see okay, well he's done five internships back to back, he's missing something there. He doesn't have a, a go get it where he wants the responsibility. He's always someone's right hand man like yeah no i'd agree on that as well and you know that's why i would definitely be encouraging people to go and get as much experience from the minute you start your degree or even before you start your degree if you can no matter what type of coaching you're doing at least you know and just like help out in any shape or form with any team you can doesn't matter what level it is whether it's uh, youth male female it doesn't really matter just get some you know get some experience on board that's the key and in terms of like development skills, we'll come back to Exos in a second, but this is going an interesting route. For young SNCs who are in their degree or just coming out of it, 
and you have like your specific SNC knowledge and sports science knowledge you should have. But what's some other stuff? Because you touched earlier on just getting to know the people. What are some other skills that are actually quite useful? Whether you do want to go that performance route or give yourself the opportunities to branch out into the corporate world, the the public health world, whatever it may be. Yeah, it's probably just, you know, trying to be a people person as much as possible. Don't be a dickhead. Network. <laughs> like, it's that, it goes back to that All Blacks legacy thing. Just don't be a dickhead. Like, be a good person. You know, try and help someone. And not try and help them just because you think they're going to reciprocate down the line with something else. But just try and help them for, you know, make their life a little bit easier. And that's what coaches want. And that's what I like generally look for. I look for a good person as opposed to... You know, if I am hiring an intern or a, an assistant or whether I'm hiring for Exos within a service delivery, like we're, we're looking for people because we can always mold them and educate them to whatever way we want. So I'd rather go, and you know yourself in Ireland, you're only one person removed from, from anyone. Pick up a phone and whether it's a guy in Mayo or Cork, whatever, you're going to be able to pick up a phone and go, well, what is this fella like, you know? And if someone says, right, really nice fella, down to earth, you know, willing to learn, uh, to listen and learn that's the that's the big thing but i would say definitely network and try and get out and not fake networking either where you're fucking on linkedin the amount of messages you you get and i'm sure you guys as well get it and it's like basically asking for you know free stuff or what would you do here like you don't mind if potentially it's once or or twice but not you know bombarding with messages and you know looking for free information you know it's um they're the types of things just yeah networking really that's the key and honest and truthful networking. Yeah, I think nearly one of the skills that nearly stuck with me most from SNC or for SNC that was in no way related when I was doing it is like bar work when I was younger because it just you learn to communicate with everybody, you learn to deal with so much stuff, you learn to bite your tongue when you need to. I think it just looks like you find people who come out of stuff like that or work in retail where they can just communicate with people. Like as you say, their education, you can educate people more, you can teach them their process, but like if someone's just not able to communicate with people it's a very hard thing to to change or implement yeah i couldn't agree more and like if we've heard people in the past where they've been complete introverts and just like as a coach you not that you need to be wild and like an american like some american you know you'd see some of the college coaches just hooping and hollering and all this type of jazz but you know they need to be able to as you say speak and as you say, yeah retail bar work like i never done bar work but i've done a lot of retail when i was 13 14 all the way up to 18 you know anything to help out and pay the bills and you know a bit of pocket money and stuff but it definitely helps you because you, you're constantly communicating with people and you have to come out your shell and that's great yeah another thing that people should definitely be listening to as well is to try and get those types of things um on their cv as well just before we move on damien what would you say to anyone young looking to develop other skills than the than the kind of hard snc stuff uh just get i suppose build up a lot of or a little bit of experience in in a lot of areas. You don't need to specialize as say, a teenager or something. Kind of go right. I'm gonna, you know, shadow coaches here. Or you know, I, I, the lads have mentioned retail. I better get into retail. Uh, you know, for a few like get a taste of a lot of different things and try to. I suppose focus on rounding yourself as an individual. Um, before you you know get maybe in down a college route and. You know, obviously, it's a good idea to have some idea of what you're getting into as well beforehand, if you can. To but just really focusing on developing yourself all around and having a lot of interest. You know, uh, or not not just kind of keeping yourself to one or two interests. Try to, you know, get a bit of knowledge in in a couple of different areas, whether it's sport, whether it's work. You know, there's not nah, uh, in, uh, nobody ever struggled uh, to. Um, or nobody ever was harmed doing a summer of hard labour in a construction site, as you'll you know well, Murph. Uh, you know, or a summer of farming into retail. You know, like there's 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 a lot of different things there that can be done to build up a, a person's overall um character and I suppose knowledge of the world. So it's just yeah, just try to try to dabble in a lot of different things and be inquisitive. You know, that's that's one of the biggest things is like that that serves people well going forward. Is just asking questions you know on you know like we were speaking beforehand you know and that we noticed from rugby on that like rugby uh, players tend to ask questions when you program for them uh whereas other other sports maybe not so much but yeah just you know that they, they'd be some of the kind of the key things i suppose uh that so they're not even key things it's just just trying to develop yourself and get get a lot of experience as many different areas as you can yeah yeah, you mentioned on that, Damien, the, the kind of specialist and generalist. Like, I, I would definitely, I've having discussions with 
uh, coaches throughout the years like eventually when you are an SNC coach generally in a county or a club you are going to be a generalist for the most part because you're not going to have the resources so what I would say is specialise in an area try and get up to speed to where you feel you know you're relatively confident then you know you're generous again then specialise in another area you know and again as SNC coaches in Ireland or you know performance specialist or whatever you want to call it you're going to have to know a thread of nutrition psychology culture you know all these different little things so like dipping your toe in the water and seeing is that for me maybe it is right then you know go a little bit deeper into it and then you become a better generalist then in the long run so specialize then be a generalist for a while if you can with roles and then and just keep building on building on as you go yeah some great stuff there i've noticed from teaching an all-girls school for seven years it's just it's made me very very aware of my communication and how i say stuff and, and who i'm speaking to in a particular manner and how it needs to be changed also the importance of creating an atmosphere around what's being done like going to a group of 30 15 year olds and you have to create a positive mindset around activity and it does become the same if you're there on a, on a wet tuesday night and you have to do a physical training session you do have to be positive and not like you said there that the whooping and hollering stereotypical american coach but you do need to bring a positivity and a kind of a proactivity to it for people to buy in just even for that particular time yeah on, just on that actually what triggers something for me is even from the corporate world is how you deal with different types of people within a corporate world because within your Googles and your big tech based companies you have different cohorts so you'll have your you know your young energetic nearly just out of college sales type people who are extroverts and then you'll have you know your engineers who are completely different completely reserved don't and never been in a gym before like i've mounted people that i've had never been on a treadmill before and they're maybe in their 30s so how you deal with them is completely different so you're dead right with regards to different populations and the more you expose yourself so my experience with those types of positions would definitely have helped me and different diff, uh, dealing with people from different countries and different nationalities and you know different backgrounds and even talking to them you know you kind of grow in that respect as well so they always help those types of um that's actually something i've noticed with uh, a few young coaches that i've had in maybe you know doing a few months of just kind of shadowing and stuff that they they get thrown a little bit by, like i'm um, both from a sporting and you know if you carry them into a little bit of corporate stuff as well that they're they might be very used to sport and they know that they can kind of have certain kind of banter or fun over and back with it with an athlete uh because maybe they know they understand the lay of the land that little bit but then you step into the corporate world and you've you 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 almost you know you have to completely change how you approach uh certain people there a lot of people there in the corporate world and to almost put on that a, a little bit more professionalism like while you might still everything you might be doing in sport will be quite professional but the way you might kind of um you know, relay information might be a bit more kind of on layman's terms or joking or jovial. Whereas in the, the corporate world, you, you you do have to be much more professional. I've seen interns kind of uh, struggle with that, you know, you know that transfer over. Um, so I suppose that kind of comes back to what we were saying a few minutes ago, that, that wide, varied world uh, uh, approach. Yeah, and that's, I've, again, I was only speaking with... Shane about I think it was Shane I was speaking with about this or maybe another coach but it's near what I would kind of class that as you need to be a chameleon like and not that you're being like facetious or anything like that but you're you know you need to be able to speak to different cohorts differently you know whether you're in a corporate environment whether you're working with GA players whether you're working with rugby or golf there's di- there's different etiquettes in different sports and with different people and you've got to be able to not conform, but like you obviously want to be yourself and not, you know, try to be a different person totally. But, you know, the kind of chameleon thing kind of comes into my head with that. And I just thought that's interesting that you mentioned that. That was something you mentioned just before we started recording there on how you've noticed your, not so much you are different, but you noticed the, the personalities and just the setup around stuff is different between GA and rugby. Just, just touching that again. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, so do you, do you want to run with it on? <laughs> no, I'll let you, I'll let you shoot first, David. So, Damien, dig his own yeah, hole. I will. I will <laughs> I'll, I'll fill in the gaps. Yeah. So, I'll um, throw on the rest of the muck on top of you. That's it, that's it. Uh, I'm used to that, I'm used to it. No, um, I suppose, what, yeah, what, what, what we were chatting about beforehand was just, I suppose, 
I'm I'm very much as uh, as many of our listeners know. I'm I work in rugby. I play Gaelic football. I work in, in Gaelic football as well. But my background my background growing up was predominantly Gaelic football. So I've come from a deep knowledge of that. And then uh, in my late twenties, thrown into working in rugby, and I was blown away by just how different people were. And in a lot of these cases, like you'd have a rugby field a rugby club right next to a GA club and a lot of them would be their schools would be in the same area so you you presume they're pretty much the same people until you get to know them and you even something as simple as we discussed there with like you might you program for a rugby team you'll get questions you'll get a you know you might hear back from them you know even just a thank you or you'll get you'll get there'll be feedback there will there will be stuff come back your way whereas when you turn around in and you give information into a a, a a football team or a hurling team or something like that you might be met with silence or just complete blanket acceptance of what you said nobody you don't know if people understand what you said if there's any questions around it and often what I found is that when when you do go then through people one by one that you start to go oh this person didn't actually pick up what I was saying and they just never asked because that culture of maybe putting your head up, up over the parapet to go hey I'm not actually sure about what this is isn't necessarily there in my experience in GAA whereas in rugby in my experience of going around to different clubs and different maybe uh, friend groups that I would have from rugby they will put their head above the parapet they'll 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 put their neck on the line and go here what's the story with this or I think this is nonsense or what they, they'll say something there will be something there and I suppose that's just on a very simplistic level uh, uh, from an S&C perspective that I found it, you do get that that completely different type of person but then on the other side of it my experience has also been the just how maybe the communities I guess around uh, each kind of um, each body there uh, around rugby and GAA that they seem to be quite different um, in that rugby clubs I feel like they are very kind of close clubs I mentioned you mentioned start on like be parents would be in for meals there before or after games. Um, there you you you've um there there's some there's a lot of team bonding goes on. Whether it might be staying around something simple, for a few drinks after a game, or you'll find that lads will they they'll regularly organize things to do together. Whereas in the GA, it can ver it can be quite broken. Uh, you can have your little clicks. And they kind of stick together. I I didn't find that as much in in rugby, but yeah. So there there's a, bit, a little bit of a background on what we were, uh, we were saying beforehand. But yeah, uh, do you want to fill any gaps there for us? Thanks for thanks for giving the clean no. version there, demo as well. <laughs> no, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like it's just yeah, I suppose the, I suppose for the most part, like most of the the guys in the rugby side are probably coming through a different education backgrounds um that maybe that might contribute to i don't know for for sure but like yeah there's definitely is differences like you mentioned even with like say for example a whatsapp group where you throw in whatever whether it's a new program a nutrition or a tip or advice and you'll get out of the 35 rugby guys you might get 30 responses saying thanks or asking questions or you know it'll be something complete radio silence for for the most part in gaa groups um which is interesting so yeah unless no it's just the four of us and we're, we're all four of us are the issue, but uh, <laughs> potentially, <laughs> potentially. A coach I work with at the minute, he actually changed the settings in the WhatsApp group so only admins could stuff could put stuff up. So when we put stuff up, we don't expect a response. So you just don't feel bad about it anymore. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> just briefly then to take it back to Exos. Um, you did an internship over there. Can you tell us? Because we kind of would have heard of Exos from like working with athletes, and as you mentioned, the athletes who are not in like it, it's a break from their full time work, but they do an awful lot of work around the combine as well. And just for anyone unsure, combine is where they test all of the athletes coming out of college before they're drafted into the the NFL, the National the American Football League. You got to work with a bit of a, a fairly uh, successful group when you were over there in your internship. Yeah, so when you know, interned twenty eleven, um, and for the most part, the, every single year since kind of then and even before, we always had you know ten plus first round draft picks, which is you know if someone goes in the first round, they've basically coming out of college, they're going into the NFL, and they kind of train in our facilities anywhere from four weeks on the short end all the way up to twelve weeks. I would say maybe a little bit higher depending on when their college season finish, and essentially yeah, they're getting prepped for those. 
tests in the combine and I was there 2011 um, some big athletes uh, Julio Jones AJ Green Marcel Darius Blaine Gabbert just phenomenal athletes and just yeah absolute specimens of, of humans like just something that I'd never seen before just stuff that they could execute like um, just seeing crazy stuff like Julio Jones I seen he basically three-stepped and jumped with his ass clean over a six foot six mannequin like it was legs straight out in front like he was diving into a sand pit type of thing and just just phenomenal stuff like that you, you we wouldn't have seen and definitely in ireland i wouldn't well i i haven't come across it in ireland probably haven't even come across that athleticism since really in what i've worked in a little bit close with maybe some of the rugby lads but yeah a uh, great experience and so yeah, assisted on the, the combine, but mainly worked with uh, the pro baseballers. They were in their off-season at that time. So, yeah, like dealing with guys who was... There was one guy there. He had just signed a 10-year, $187 million contract. You know, th this type of stuff. Crazy stuff. Um, working with golfers. Uh, LA Galaxy were there for a couple of weeks when we were there. And Sporting Kansas City. So that was a good experience as well. So, I've got like, working in the center like an athlete's performance or Exos facility is, is great because you get very much around that experience and you are like you're you, you do work like and which is great and that's what i wanted like working 60 70 80 hour weeks like working six six days a week and in in there crack it on and not leave until late in the evening but that's what i wanted and i suppose that really accelerated my development and my thought process i suppose when i came out of college first i thought you know like most people coming out of college you think right i'm ready i'm set let me go just where's all the athletes like let me train them but I suppose that environment isn't in Ireland, so um, and maybe you can't get that experience. So I feel like what I done in the six months there was probably worth two, three, four years worth of coaching for some people because I was just on the floor, and if I wasn't on the floor, I was reading or if I was, I was, you know, tapping up coaches within the facility and asking them for you know ideas, what would I do, or I was training myself and running those. The methods, uh, I suppose, behind the principles that Exos give you, I was, I was, I was testing those myself, so which was great. Are you getting much feedback on your coaching methods when you're out there, so so that you can improve? I always find that's one of the big things to improve as a coach is someone externally viewing you. Yeah, like we had, there was weekly education sessions. So, like at the very start, I think there was, I think there was twelve or thirteen interns. Um, there was one or two dropped out over those six months, but like so at the start they're not they're not just throwing you with athletes straight away. You're doing the shake bar, you're you know towels, these types of things. You're you're more viewing for maybe a week or two, but after a couple of weeks, myself and another guy got on really well. Um, they knew we were working hard. We were listening. We were asking the right questions. You know, we were there to help, and they kind of gave us a lot more stuff. So first off, I start getting there's a high school group that that comes in, so I start getting coaching those to give you the you know the pillar prep and movement prep first you go through that make a few mistakes learn you know go because you're essentially following a, a principles based approach and and you're you're following the exos methodology as well essentially so you're kind of learning that as well i had read uh one of mark's books as well before so i had a little bit idea but trying to implement it is is, is a little bit different on how they want you to implement it is a specific way so kind of once you felt up to speed after about a month i was i was um coaching away and you know got more experience and maybe when you're with this the real athletes like um outside the high school group they might just give you the, the pillar prep or moving prep to start they might give you a component or you know you might be going in doing a demo on a you know a bulgarian split squat and you, you know you'll talk through that you talk to the athletes through that and then you just get more and more um coaching experience so it was great yeah and I, I actually after two months i was coaching mark Verstegen's wife so i was giving her <laughs> training sessions as well which was great so i got on well there and kind of building rapport with her and some of the other coaches that kind of gave me a little bit of a you know a footing within the company i suppose that's how you know i got I got offered a full-time position uh, a couple of months later just sorry now i'm slightly all over the place with some of these questions the the likes of julio jones and people like that their abilities, how much of that do you think is genetic and how much has some element of coaching to it or so much of it just, yeah, I just try and stay out of their way? No, um, but yeah, a lot of it's genetic, yeah. So I won't mention that one of the guys who went first round as well, both of his parents were Olympians and there was a, like, we had a big issue with trying to get him to eat healthily. So he would be at In-N-Out in Burger, Wendy's. So we were providing state-of-the-art food breakfast, lunch, dinner, have in house or take away or whatever. 
but he would be, you know, always eating like what nutritionists or anyone guiding people on nutrition would not say is, you know, what you should Heart be putting fuel in your body with. <laughs> yeah, for athletes. So, at the same time, but like, in and out is, he, is, is quite hard to pull yourself away from. I'm saying yes. that here as a nutritionist. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a tough one, man. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's definitely a tough one. That's what I was going to say. So four weeks, I suppose, would definitely be a small amount of time if you're trying to elicit any serious power gains or speed gains. Is a lot of it down to working with the athlete's mindset and working with their nutrition and just making sure they're in the best shape to attack the combine rather than making too many wholesale changes? Yeah, like for some people, if you have more time with them, you're going to be able to elicit bigger changes in certain things, whether it's like, and it's the look of the athlete as well. So like if they're coming in and their body comp is up, you, like that could be one of the big things you want to be working on. Something, Some of the things could be just, you know, technique on the 40, you know, start position. To, like if you drop their 40 from a 4.6 a to a 4.4, four, you're that could take them from round three or four into round one, like, you know, depending on their position. So, it all depends, I would say, um, but there's definitely yeah, all, everything from like a real holistic approach is taken, and there is like technique from a position point of view. So there will coaches, specific NFL coaches, be coming in, whether it's quarterback or you know D line or O line and stuff, and they're coming in and working with the athletes as well. And then even from a like a video point of view as well, so they they'd be tightening up their knowledge of how they read and how how would they because teams want to know like. Are they willing to work? That's the big thing. So maybe it's when the scouts are looking at them, I've probably looked at them over a four-year period and they'll see where have they come from when they walked in the door of Alabama or Oregon or wherever they were and where are they now? Or specifically, where were they when they were in year four of the program in Oregon or Alabama and where are they now? They're the types of things because, you know, they've probably recruited them. They're just basically as well seeing if they're they're good people and a fit for the organisation. It's, um, that's a very interesting um, video I, I was about to ask you on there. So the, the, the combine is a global event at this stage. You know, everyone's watching it because we see the, 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 the boundaries are constantly being tested. They're constantly being pushed. And it's just a feat of, of, of just fantastic athletic, human athletic ability each year. And I suppose one of my question is that that part of it that you just mentioned there, we don't we don't hear much about that. We don't hear you know about QB coaches coming in, uh, defensive line coaches coming in, working on that actual game specific stuff. And we've done a good few podcasts on you know sports specific uh, skill development and that that you know not just focusing on the S and C you know the power and and speed and fitness perspective. But one of the things that I found uh, from working with athletes is that. Uh, is that they everyone is interested in the combine everyone sees what they're doing and they focus in on those explosive things that's what matters uh, like from your position next to us and working with athletes in ireland working with uh you know high performance athletes in ireland do you have you ever kind of come across you know that a struggle to pull guys back from the snc side of things a little bit and get them to think about their sport and how have you kind of uh approached that yourself yeah like i couldn't agree more like i think some snc coaches think they're more important than they are and i've definitely a, more of a realist on that like i think the game is their most important and like i suppose i can't think of someone off the top of my head now but maybe like the likes of a gooch didn't you know playing for Kerry back like not too long ago what he you know his snc and what he done probably outside now i don't want to speak and on his behalf, but I, you, from the outs, outside looking in, you wouldn't think that now he was spending two, three, four days in the gym in his off-season and doing X, Y, and Z, but he had natural abilities and definitely worked on those, and that that's what set him apart from other people. But I do think, like you said, I think maybe young guys, players and or coaches are putting too much emphasis on you know, your strength. Like You need to be reverse engineering the game. What is the most important thing to make you a better player, whether it's skill set, whether it's speed? You know, What do you need to work on to make you a better player? So I think there is maybe too much of an emphasis put on S&C at the moment. And maybe some coaches hide behind that because maybe they're not that good of actual you know football coaches or rugby coach or whatever type of coach they are. And it's like, oh, they weren't fit enough. Let's, you know, let's get an SNC in and let's do X, Y, and Z. So, and like you see it at the highest level, and you, I most certainly hear about it at the highest level. Like a, you talk at the 
different coaches and you'd be hearing anecdotal stories about what has happened and you know a loss comes after like really good performances and there was nothing there was no question about fitness then and then all of a sudden fitness is, is the issue or you know something else is the issue so and once that's in the player's head it's very hard to put to 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 deprogram that again like once it's said almost once even you know we weren't we weren't as fit as them or they were physically you know bigger than us all of a sudden you've a you have a team of players where you're like, no, we we just couldn't connect passes. You know, <laughs> you know, trying to trying to decommission that, pull them back from that can be quite tough. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And that's not to say that fitness isn't a thing. It's you. You need to be fit enough. Simple as you need to be fit enough. And the fittest team doesn't win. If if you win because of fitness, it's because the other teams have neglected their fitness straight up. You, you do need to bring it to a certain level. Just one thing I'd say there on Gooch when we had Carl Dillon on before, he did his uh, his thesis on bilateral players and skill levels of Gaelic football and he said to one player God you were very natural weren't you and he, said, and he took it as an insult to say I worked so hard at my skills and we don't know who it was like it was anonymous I would guess it may have been good <laughs> um, but he just said I worked so hard nothing was natural nothing I and a lot of the players said they put so much in I think sometimes people say oh those players are good because they naturally had it and I think it can take away from the level of work they put in outside the field on their actual skills as opposed to on fitness or anything like that too yeah, and on the, like on that, like a, a, a dual sided player, whether it's hurling or football or whatever it is, like that's what gets them out of trouble in ninety nine times out of a hundred. Like that's their ability to now, they have more resources to lean on, and that's what makes them a better player for sure. Sorry, there, Shane. What were you going to say there? I was just going to say we kind of touched on that point where S and C isn't everything last week when we said with um, body fat percentages and like players could come in and be like oh I'm actually got down to 8% this week I was like well that's great but like you averaged 2-3 a game last year and you've only scored 2 points in the last 6 matches so like that was Damien as an example just so everybody knows but yeah it's those, those kind of things yeah and that, that goes for strength as well you see people just chasing PRs and you see coaches just chasing PRs and like even in season I hear of it I'm like what like it's crazy it's crazy stuff it's uh, it's it, it it like, I suppose it, you'd be kind of having conversations with you going, how do we eradicate this? But we have to be honest, there are coaches, there are S and C coaches too who are propping this up because, like you mentioned, it makes them more important than what they actually are in in a team setup. Keeps them employed, keeps them in jobs, keeps you know. So there there is a degree of that that you're trying to combat uh, against it as well. But um, yeah, it's it's trying to find that balance. Uh, and hoping that you you get in with a team whose coach actually, I guess, understands you know that you're you're trying to just get them to the right, get them to the level, but then it's the actual sport they need to be good at. Exactly, yeah, and that's why, like I was saying earlier, you just need to be careful who you're getting into bed with with regards to coaching and management. Like, you, I have a, a really good network of coaches, um, managers, sports scientists, nutritionists who, like you know. If, if they are potentially looking for an SNC coach, they will ask, you know, potentially get a lot of offers from that point of view and vice versa. You know, I'll be able to make recommendations from having worked with different people as well. So that's really good to have that kind of good network of different people that you can trust and rely um, on when, when, when needed. Oh, and you've been absolutely brilliant with your time today. Can you just let anyone listening know where they can find you or a little bit more about Exos? Um, yeah, if you're looking for any more information on Exos, um, I would just go onto the Exos website, whether it's um, some of our online education. Um, we've got performance specialist cert there, which I would highly, highly recommend. It is costly, but it you will definitely get everything back out of it for sure. So um, Exos website. Um, and then if you want to contact me, I suppose the easiest is either on um, Twitter or on Instagram. I think handle is omaguire 9 Oh, that's some absolutely brilliant, some really, really interesting stuff there today and uh, we'll, de- we'll definitely be pushing this one out. All right, thanks a million.